This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. The Broken Meeple, Season 2, Episode 3, Eagles. Welcome to The Broken Meeple, a show devoted to board and card games. Today's episode is not about Christmas, it's about Eagle Griffin games. I'm going to give you two reviews today, one good, one bad. Have a guess which is which. Find out more as I continue on with Morocco and Continental Divide. Hi everyone, I know it's been a while since the last episode, but it has been quite busy, and to be fair, I've also had a bit of a personal matter I've had to deal with lately with uh, one of my little, one of my clients, shall we say, and well, it got a bit stressful, it got very like, you know, anxiety, pains, and all that jazz, it was quite nasty for me. I'm not going to go into detail because it's rather confidential, but let's just say things have mellowed out a bit now, I've you know, managed to sort out the majority of it. It's just sort of ironing out the wrinkles now, and that has been on my mind. However, it's not all bad. Of course, we're coming up to Christmas, and Christmas is just around the corner, and I hope everyone's bought everybody a board game for Christmas. I'm not going to get one myself. I get too many as this, so I don't really need anybody to buy me a board game. But if they do, find out. You never know. You might get lucky. The main two things I'm kind of excited about is, firstly, if all goes well on Friday, I'll be getting the last piece of my board game room finished, which is mounting a TV and soundbar on the spare wall. Now, the idea of that is, is that one wall will have all the games along one side. You've probably already seen my photos of that. Uh, the wall opposite that is going to be my kind of geekdom uh, poster wall, which is a bit sporadic at the moment. It's got the Pandemic Legacy board on it, it's got some poster sheets from Sentinels of the Multiverse, and it's got a Dalek canvas print on it, and uh, Scott King's 2017 Kickstarter calendar on there as well. I'm going to populate it with stuff that I just come across over the next year or so. So at conventions, if I find good canvas prints, I will get those and put them on the wall, particularly if they're Marvel or DC characters. And also, I know that with the Sentinels of the Multiverse Kickstarter coming out next year, probably around Easter time, I think the last update said, there's going to be a big canvas print for all of Sentinels of the Multiverse, and that's going to look glorious on that wall. So that's a work in progress, but at least it's there. The side wall, though, that's alongside between them, that's sort of heading towards the door, is going to be a TV and soundbar mount. Now, we're not talking huge. We're talking, uh, what did I get? I think a 32-inch TV, something like that. I didn't go mad. I just need a TV that's bigger than obviously using an iPad when it comes to mirroring apps. So, you know, the iPad is great for companions. It's also great for things like XCOM and Mansions of Madness, for example, where the app is somewhat key to its function. And I just want to put it on a big TV and make it look cool. Cool. Can you just imagine XCOM sound effects coming out of a soundbar in big blazing glory? It's going to be... I hope it's going to work. I hope they can mount it. I know that internal walls are a bit... I'm not sure. I'm not a building expert. And I just hope it goes smoothly. So we'll see how that pans out on Friday. I'll put some photos up and I'm sure you'll see it then. The other good thing is that I mentioned before that I did my Patreon campaign to raise money in order to get into video again. 
Well, it's taken off with a, a few people, but I'd like it to get more. So, I mean, if you can visit my Patreon page, just search for The Broken Meeple, you'll find it. And it would be nice if you could just donate even just a dollar a month to the working of the podcast. I've got just about enough to afford uh, the hosting fees at the moment, but obviously I want to do big stuff. And originally it was there to fund video equipment. Well, it still is. But I've managed to get some sort of advanced income and basically I now have the means to acquire the video equipment. The idea is that I hope though that the Patreon campaign will be able to sort of pay that back over time because this is leaving me out of pocket. And also I will change the goals on the Patreon page to suit new ideas. You know, maybe upgrade the equipment or possibly to improve the website. I'd quite like to do that at some point. Maybe get a full-fledged website, pay someone to design it for me. And obviously that's going to cost money. So there is still reason for the Patreon page to be there. I want to expand this blog as far as I can physically do it with just me. And if you want me to do stuff on site at conventions, I'm going to need equipment for that. There's still stuff to fund. But I do have the means to go out and get the starter equipment to do YouTube reviews again. That is the camera. That is the microphone. I haven't decided if it's going to be shotgun or lavalier. I think it will probably be a Rode lavalier. I haven't fully decided on the camera yet. Probably a... I'm looking at a Canon 750D EOS at the moment. But to be honest, my knowledge of cameras is somewhat limited. So... To be perfectly frank, it's going to be a camera that does decent video that's preferably a DSLR, really, at this rate. So I need the camera, tripod, I need the mic, I need some basic lighting, like LED lights, not too many, just enough to light me up in the room if the natural light is insufficient. And what else do I need? Oh yes, I need some software to record it on, and I'm thinking Camtasia will be the one because I've already got a sort of earlier... A crack copy of Camtasia at the moment and I want to get a full version and you know the newest stuff and Camtasia is familiar to me so I should be able to do some decent video editing with that I know people speak highly of Adobe Premiere Pro and I'm sure it's a great piece of software but I just don't know if I really need that giant learning curve for just YouTube reviews I mean you know YouTube reviews in the odd top 10 I think Camtasia should be able to do me fine for that. It's certainly done well for editing this podcast, and that wasn't even with the full version. So I reckon it should be fine overall. As for anything else with that equipment, well, I will think about it as I go along. I might need to get a laptop perhaps to actually record the audio on because I I don't think my desktop PC is going to have a cable long enough to reach that room. So I may have to invest in a laptop or a MacBook or something like that as well. You know, it all costs money at the end of the day. You've got to know these things. So that's all in the works. I hope to invest in some of that equipment during the next week or so because I kind of want to get it done as a kind of like in the Christmas sales and, you know, get the best deals. But yeah, that's in the works. So sooner or later, you're going to see me experiment more with the video. And I hope that one day I'll be able to resurrect the YouTube channel from its dormant status and get back into some video. I know that Sam Healy wants me to go on Throat Punch Lunch if I can fit with his timetable and theme. That would be awesome. And obviously, I want to do YouTube reviews because I think I can put those out a bit quicker than doing long writing, you know, writing novels all the time. It takes a while to write a review. I reckon with time, I could get a video review out nice and quick. And on top of that, I also want to do the top tens with people that I know at clubs, maybe with some of the, uh, you know, Dice Portsmouth crew. That'd be quite a good laugh, you know, maybe some of the Games Quest lot. You know, just generally have guests on the show to aid in the top tens. I know that sounds like I'm copying the Dice Tower top tens, but it's the three of them all the time. So this time it will be various people that come on. So there is a slight difference there. Ha! Anyway, 
enough of all that. So that's to come and some good times ahead as well as obviously Christmas and New Year. Now what am I talking about today? Well, I got given quite a few Eagle Griffin games to review and I figured I might as well get two of them out of the way now as I believe they are ready. One is good, one is bad. Can you guess which is which? These are Morocco and Continental Divide. Morocco is a Euro cube pushing game where you're effectively vying for area control in this market and you have to place meeples like marketeers on the board to control areas but where you can place your guys is dictated by this grid cube system and you need to get certain color cubes in order to put your meeples in various places. So fairly dry but interesting little Euro and then the other one, Continental Divide, is basically a almost like a starter for 18xx style games where you are building railways across this map and collecting dividends and buying shares. Yeah, have a guess from that. Which one is going to be the game I like and which one's going to be the game I hate? What shall we start with first? You know what, let's start on a positive front. Let's start off with Morocco. In Morocco, you're trying to claim the best stalls across this big marketplace and you want to attract customers to sample your wares or be enthralled by your amazing spectacles. Now that sounds more thematic than the game actually is. Basically, you are placing meeples on this market map and you're going for area control. You're trying to get the majority sort of majority people in your stalls in order to claim them. And of course, you can set up combos and etc. and you're getting victory points. So yeah, it's a pretty dry affair. But this one works quite nicely. For start off, it looks quite nice on the board. The board is pretty colourful when you get different colour cubes and meeples out. It's pretty easy to see what's what on the board. You know, the graphic design is pretty good. I would have liked maybe just a slightly bigger board in the sense that where you've got to put your meeples, the squares are quite tiny and you almost think like the meeples are a bit too big for them. Maybe they could have just like blown up the scale of the board a bit more and just expanded on that. That would have been alright because it gets a little fiddly, but that's a minor quibble. The crux of this though is two phases. The first phase, you scout the market and assign your workers. And by scouting, you basically have this little, it almost looks a bit like a rondelle, but not quite. Essentially, you've got these five spots where you put this uh, pawn meeple thing, and each one has a color cube on it. And the twist is, is that you, where you place the pawn is the color cube you will collect for yourself. But your opponents each get a color of the cube that's adjacent to it. So you're getting the one cube you want, but you're also giving opponents two other color cubes. Everybody will get a turn doing this, so everybody will get the same amount of cubes each, but what colors you get is going to depend on where people want to place that pawn, and you can't place it on the same space the other player before you did. So it's going back and forth, and you're each getting different color cubes, and you're trying to essentially get the best for yourself whilst giving your opponents stuff that isn't quite as useful. This is quite a cool little mechanic and I'd like to see it in some other Euro games. The second phase is where you use this information, they call it information cubes and it's kind of weird, but the idea is that you now send your workers out into the market. Now the market itself is on a grid system where each of the columns and rows is labelled by a colour cube that is randomly drawn at the start of the game, except you've got different colours in each row so you don't have duplicates to begin with. Now the idea is, is that you can only place your workers on squares if you have the row and column color cubes to match it. 
So if I want to put it on a green row and a purple column space, then I need those two cubes in order to put the worker out. And you can get slightly almost like grande workers eventually that uh, count as two. And you can do other little shenanigans with gold pieces like switching the cubes around on the rows and columns to create all sorts of weird things with the area control. But the idea is, is that you will place the workers on the spaces and eventually once they're all filled, whoever has the majority uh, color, you know, the majority color on that tile will claim it and get some points and potentially like more points later in the game. The idea being though that completed stalls overflow into other tiles so you can almost create chain reactions and you want to try and get a continuous line of claimed stalls if you can. As well as this, when you put your meeple on a corner space you're also gaining these juice tokens which are basically just hidden victory points, there's not much else to it. Although it is quite amusing to say that I'm collecting all the juice. And the game basically plays out like this until eventually you know uh, a certain amount of stalls are left uh, open. And then you count up the points from juice tokens and bonus points from getting uh, contiguous lines of stools and your colour, etc. And obviously the winner is the one with the most points. This one I quite like. The It is dry. It's dry as a bone. I mean, the juice tokens are basically just free victory points and the whole information cube thing is just a bit weird. But the mechanically, it's pretty sound. The first phase in particular I really like because you've got to think, I could really use a black cube. But do I really want to give the others a purple and a green cube? And I know that doesn't sound great to people who are sort of thinking that a cube pushing Euro games. But, you know, if you just get past that and just remember this is a typical Euro style game, it is quite cool to have to have that decision in your head. You know, do I, um, is this cube that I want to collect worth me giving the opponents these? Because if they get these colours, they're going to possibly screw my days over on those particular tiles. So you might go elsewhere. And of course, they've got to make the same decision for you, and what cubes you get from them might influence your play in the second phase. And then during the second phase, the market stores quickly get contested as you run out of spaces to place your meeples. There's certainly quite a bit of cutthroat nature in this game as you start stealing spots of other players, you know, trying to steal tiles off them when they're trying to go for the majority and you sneak in with a, you know, a quick win or claiming juice tokens that they wanted and now you can't and swapping the cube, the rows and column cubes, you know, will also cause some issues. So it's not, we're not talking direct cutthroat, but it can get quite mean at times. You know, you are contesting this board with all the other players, sometimes multiple at once, and it get can get quite heated. You know, you can get shut out of certain areas quite well depending on what cubes you ended up with but that's part of the fun and it's part of the tension my slight flaw with this is that it does go on a little bit long the playing time for the game i believe is somewhere around the 45 minute mark according to the box cover that is a lie you might be able to do this with two players and i've not played it with two players so you know that's not gonna happen but with Three players, yeah, that's unlikely to happen, and with four or five players, you have not got a chance. I believe this was at least 90 minutes when I played this with four players, possibly longer, and with five players, I don't think I'd ever want to play this with five players. I think it would just go on for too long. I think this is alright at four, if you don't mind a little bit of longer time, but this makes for a good little back-and-forth two-player game. I think, again, what a surprise. Free is definitely the sweet spot. Enough tension and enough you know, variety and enough you know contesting with other players. It gets a lot more meaner the more players you have, that is for certain. But generally, I was quite impressed with this one. I wasn't expecting much. You know, the cover is 
Not the most striking cover in the world. It's nice and colourful, but that's about it. And I always have a bit of a bad feeling with board games that just name themselves after a place name. You know, Morocco. What does that tell you about the game? Not really much. But in the end of the day, I thought it was a pretty decent Euro flick. Not the best thing in the world, not the best thing since sliced bread, but a decent, above-average Euro game that's probably going to fly under the radar. I don't think many people are going to notice it. I mean, it's enough several thousands in the rank on board game geek so we're certainly not talking a classic here but i reckon this one is worth checking out if you ever see anyone with a copy particularly if you are a fan of area control and you know heated contested area control specifically but also don't mind the typical cube pushing style of a euro game so broken rating for morocco i would say are seven Cups of Juice. Seven Cups of Juice is my final rating for this one. I think it's a decent above average Euro game and definitely worth your time. So now we have Continental Divide. I believe this is a reprint of an earlier version of Continental Divide with some slightly upgraded components, although that's not saying much. Continental Divide is basically what I would like to call the starter to 18xx. If you're a fan of that genre, there's probably umpteen amount of 18xx games you've played, all named after some other particular year or in some particular country map, and Continental Divide is kind of what I would like to say is the gateway 18xx game although to say it gateway is kind of pushing it as well i mean there was another game i believe called chicago express which was also kind of like a gateway 18xx game but that's a part of garbage and you don't want to play that game seriously garbage and this one really just feels the same as chicago express really it's just got slight tweak to the actions that you can do but you're pretty much doing the same thing Essentially, what you have is this hex map of the American continent. And the idea is, is that you are the president of a railroad building across plains and mountain ranges and deserts and dense forests of the western US trying to cross the continental divide. Now, that sounds, again, more thematic than it actually is, because essentially, plains, mountains, deserts and dense forests, the only way these are actually represented on the map is that the colouring is slightly different. It's not like you see actual pictures of plains or mountains, it's just the fact that some hexes appear a bit more yellow and a bit more orange or a bit more green than others. It's uh, barely You barely notice the colours on a lot of them, it's very subtle. But you are effectively building railroads across this map in order to earn the most money because it's a railroad stock game. This is basically 18xx. So what it is is that you will build railroad tracks, but you will also buy shares in those railroads and the railroad companies. And as you go through the game, the railroads get longer and you will get paid dividends based on how well the railroad is doing. And you have to obviously buy more shares. You have to manage your stocks. And eventually when the game ends, whoever has the most money wins. Now, everybody knows that I am not the biggest 18xx fan in the world. I respect you if you want to play that genre. I don't have anything against you. But I will never understand, after having experienced playing several 18xx games, why you like this genre so much. I can't think of many, if any, more boring themes than Railroad Stock Market. 
This is not what I want as a fun theme in a board game. You know, this is about as boring a theme as you can get. And literally, all you are doing during this game is building railroads and buying stock and selling stock and getting some money. That's it. It's a pure, dull economic fest. Now, are there any good points about it? Well, some. Although, I'm not exactly going to say that these are striking things. Basically, the map is it's clear. The graphic design of the game is crystal clear. There is no reason why you wouldn't be able to tell what is what. The cost of a particular hex to build the railroad is on there. The income it generates is on there. The income track and stock track and game turn track and all this stuff is on the board and clear to see. So there's certainly no question of it being convoluted or being too busy a board. But it does look dry and drab as hell. I mean, this is a, a boring looking board. When Whichever way you look at it, nobody can look at this board and say it's pretty. Unless you seriously have low expectations of what you class as pretty or nice. And again, you end up with a bucket load of cubes and some share cards in the various railroads. Which a bit like how the, uh, the railroad cards in Ticket to Ride, the 10th anniversary, you know, they've got their own unique logo in that. It's the same for this, but we're not exactly talking anything stellar artwork here. This is very plain and very drab. And one other benefit of the game, if this is your thing, is that this is not a game of luck or chance. This is like typical 18xx games, and this is probably the only reason I can see why people get, you know, why this appeals, this genre appeals to people, and it's the fact that there is no luck or chance. You, whatever you buy, whatever you plan, whatever you sell, you know, it is all based on your decision making. There is no luck of card draw. There's no rolling of a die. There is only what you do and what your player, other players do. And that's it. That is no luck or chance whatsoever. And I think that's the, it's a good thing to have that. You know, if you want a pure strategic game, this is gonna be right up your street, of course, with the slightly dull theme. The other thing I would say is that the rules are very, very easy to learn. This is almost gateway level in terms of learning the rules of the game, but I wouldn't call it a gateway game because you have to make quite a few decisions for the long term. Of course, you have no idea what's going to happen in the long term, so you're essentially making decisions hoping that something happens in the future. You know, do I buy or sell this particular stock? You know, what's he going to do? You can make these decisions all you like, but to be honest, most players who play this, particularly for the first couple of times, aren't really going to have a clue what they're doing. So what they do is fairly random. Once you've actually got like a few games under your belt, I have seen people play this game to the extent where it's like they're really hard thinking about what the opponents are doing. And that's the only way I can see this getting to the 120 minutes timeline because it claims it's a two-hour game. I don't know how you can spend two hours playing this game, not just for the fact that it's two hours of mind-numbing boredom, but also for the fact that it just doesn't seem like something that would take two hours. There aren't that many turns in the game. Now, if you had five or six players, okay, maybe two hours with that, but certainly with three or four, no, you could get it done in much less. It depends on how long it takes you to make your decisions in a turn which is another problem with this game. If you've got people who take this sort of genre really seriously and think about what they're doing in terms of counting up their money and seeing if they've got enough to afford the next couple of shares, etc., and planning for future dividends, then the analysis paralysis and downtime in this game is through the flipping roof. You will wait ages for these players who take this game far too seriously and take forever 
forever, and I mean forever, to make their decisions. One game I played of this, I nearly fell asleep. The game was already boring enough. I'd already played it once at the time and knew it was not the greatest game in the world for me. But the second game I played, I played with a mate who is a big 18xx fan. And oh my god, he took forever with his turns. Just trying to buy up every possible calculation of money. I mean, it was almost getting to paragrid levels of analysis paralysis. And I just, I almost lost my rag with him at first. Just like, take your... Stupid turn. Honestly, I'm falling asleep here with boredom. I need to play this game because I need to, but seriously, just hurry up. It's it's 18xx at the end of the day. I mean, take this review with a pinch of salt. It's not my type of genre. I will say on a positive point, if you are interested in the game, that is no luck or chance, it's all strategy, this is a good bet. It is basically no, it is all strategy, and if that's your thing, great. If you can get past the fact that it's one of the dullest themes in the world, fine, that's a good start. But if you're trying to introduce people to 18xx as a genre, I recommend you get this one as a starting point because it is easy to learn, but it's teaching you effectively what you do in every other 18xx game, which is buy railroads and buy shares and get dividends. You know, it's all the same thing across the board. So this one is a nice starter for people that you are interested in the genre and just want a taster. Give them this game, because it is essentially like that. I don't really see the point of having this and Chicago Express. They're pretty much the same game, bar a couple of differences. I would certainly say this one is more akin to 18xx than Chicago Express, so I would say this one over that. But it's really going to be a case of do you like this genre or not, really. I, for one, don't like this genre. So, granted... This game was not likely to be one that I enjoyed. But even if I had a remote interest in here, there's just very little to make me want to come back. I mean, I say you're building railroads across this map. You're not really. You're basically just bunking cubes on a hex. That's it. Your railroad is basically a line of cubes. There's no tracks. There's no, like, interesting trains or anything. It's just... Here's my row of cubes, and they go in a straight line and eventually veer off across random places, and certain regions cost more than others based on what terrain it is. That's it. All you're doing is basically trying to figure out the difference, you know, like, what, how much should I spend on this railroad? Should I keep building on it? Is it time to sell my shares and invest in another one, etc.? Can I get across the Continental Divide, which gets you more points at the end of the game? There's a lot of decisions you have to make and there's a lot of things you can try to do but again it's buying railroad stocks and shares it's so boring i just don't uh, i don't know i'm ranting enough about this if you like 18xx you'll like this game it's pretty simple to say that i don't think there's i think you might think this is maybe too simplistic for you how on earth you come across that, I have no idea. But compared to some of the other 18xx stuff out there, this one is it's certainly more visually appealing, I will say, than most 18xx games that look like print and plays. But this one is also a good starter for you to say, oh, are you interested in what we do? Here's this game. Try this out, and if you like it, you'll like all the 18xx games that are out there. Because that's essentially what this is. It's an entryway to 18xx. Anyway... That's enough for me ranting about this game. It's obviously not for me. It may be for you, but if you think you're going to buy this because it's a fun train game, or, you know, just for a fun train game and you've got no interest in the whole stock thing, this is going to bore the pants off you. 
it bores the pants off me. I can, I never want to play this again. I am done with it. I can let all the 18xx fans have this, but ugh, do not put something like this in front of me again. If you like 18xx, you'll like it. But for me, my broken rating for Continental Divide is a two. Two busted, broken trains in a desert somewhere with people dying of starvation and thirst, waiting for somebody to come along in a car or someone to invent the car and come along. I don't know. It bored me to death. You know, I can see some good things about it if you're into that genre, but for me, I don't want to be put anywhere near this game ever again. 18xx, boring. So there you go, two reviews for Eagle Griffin Games. One good, one bad. Take them how you will. You know, you may disagree with one, you may agree with one. It really depends on your own viewpoint at the end of the day. But for now, i better get on with playing some other review copies of games and trying to chill out a bit after a bit of a rough week. Now, you're probably expecting a you know top 10 of 2016 at this point. That is in the works, and it will be coming. Whether it will be the next episode or the one after that remains to be seen, but I know some people are getting them out now. I still have a few 2016 titles that I would like to get played first before I do the list. And some of them I have played, but only played once. I need to play them more before I can decide whether they're good enough for a top 10. So to be fair and to be integral, I need more time to play those games, and I intend to do that over the course of the Christmas holiday. So maybe you'll probably see my top 10 of 16, uh, maybe just before the new year, or just after, something like that. But just give me a few more days to play some of the games that have come out in 2016 that just require a little bit more, a little bit more tender loving care. So that's all from me. Have a very Merry Christmas if I don't speak to you before then. And if I don't speak to you before the new year, have a great new year as well. And I see you in either the end of 2016 or the beginning of 2017. We shall see. But for now, take care and remember, it's only a game. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about The Broken Meeple, there are various sources for you to choose from. You can check out the written review blog at brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. You can find me on Facebook at The Broken Meeple. You can find me also on Twitter at The Broken Meeple. If you live anywhere near Portsmouth, Hampshire, you can come to one of our board gaming clubs. Search for Portsmouth on board on meetup.com or Facebook and check out our pages. Also, check out my Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash thebrokenmeeple and pledge anything you can to help me get back into video and improve this experience for you. Thanks for listening, take care, enjoy playing games, and from me and everyone else at the Dice Tower, have fun gaming. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like the D6 Generation, or today in Board Games Week in Review. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.